Coming up on this episode of the Unusable Podcast. Planned obsolescence. A 120-year-old light bulb. Buying meat in a pub car park. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us, and talk about great design that just works, or moan about it when it doesn't. Hey Andy. Hello David. Hiya. How are you? Uh, I'm alright. Tar. Yeah. Does tar, is tar going to mean something to our international audience? Tar? Yeah. Tar is like thanks. Isn't, isn't it like abbreviation for thanks a lot? I don't know. I've, don't I've know. always said it because tar. people just do say it in, in Derbyshire, which is in the middle of the UK. Is it more? Is it a, a northern thing? See, I'm from Yorkshire. I thought that it's a Yorkshire thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a quite a lot of crossover, isn't there? Because Mardi is the other one that people haven't heard of outside of Yorkshire. Really? Yorkshire and Derbyshire. Yeah, yeah, Mar- Mardi. Yeah, right. Well, people listen to this from like all around the world, so let us know. We should explain what Mardi means. Maybe, maybe give, maybe give it a guess. Send us a Twitter tweet. Just, just guess what you think Mardi is. Yeah, it's, it's a lovely word. I think it, it really sounds like what it means. It's one of those beautiful. <laughs> There's a word for that. Onomatopoeia. Yeah, like uh, swoosh. Yeah, is an onomatopoeia. It, it sounds like it is. I don't think Mardi really. No, but I don't know. Right, is this is this what this podcast is be about? Just us talking about words. <laughs> No, I don't think it is. I think this podcast is going to be about planned obsolescence. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself, Andrew? Uh, yes, I am Andrew Witt and I am the product owner of a SaaS product in Derby. And I'm David Ball. I'm a front-end web and app developer. Super duper. Okay, so uh, a conversation happened on Twitter a while ago. and In fact, it was quite a while ago now, but it was um, Russ Trieste and they were talking about speakers, Bose speakers. No, no, it wasn't, was it? Sonos. Sonos speakers. So what had happened is that Sonos had announced that their older speakers were not going to receive any more updates in the future. Essentially, these speakers that a lot of people had spent good money on, because these are quite expensive speakers, were going to be, I assume, useless or essentially they, they've got a, a shelf life. And a lot of people were unhappy about this because there's no yeah the speaker's fine because the speaker's fine it's just that they aren't updating the the software so it made us think about like what other products uh kind of become obsolete over time and there's such a thing as planned obsolescence this is where companies will build obsolescence i keep saying obsolescence you know what i mean it's something that goes out of date or becomes useless over time sometimes that is built in to the product okay and sometimes that's that's to be expected if something gets dirty and broken over time but sometimes it's artificially engineered exactly there's no reason why it can't just last for a long time when people say oh they don't build things like they used to you know things like um clothes these days god i sound like such an old man don't i these days Back in the olden times, clothes used to last a long time. But sometimes things are produced cheaply and they're thrown out. Fast fashion going into landfill. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Or you might buy a new mobile phone. Like on average, people buy a new phone every two years. And the one that you're throwing away or getting rid of might be absolutely fine. Just isn't quite as new and shiny. Or you might notice that the battery life doesn't last quite as long whereas these things are actually okay we're just encouraged to uh, upgrade our devices yeah and obviously that that has a positive impact for the manufacturer of whatever it is because they will sell more you know if they can make something that lasts just long enough that people don't get annoyed then need replacing you know they're gonna they're gonna sell more yeah would you like to hear a a, a bit of a more of an academic definition of what planned obsolescence is i think it's just mm, form academic, a form not really but go ahead <laughs> so planned obsolescence or built-in obsolescence in industrial design and economics 
economics is a policy of planning or designing a product with an artificially limited useful life so that it becomes obsolete, i.e. unfashionable um, or no longer functional after a certain uh, period of time. I mean, that's why I said no to start with. <laughs> <laughs> I've not even finished yet. Right, okay, don't read out the full thesis. Well, the last the last little sentence is, the rationale behind this strategy is to generate long-term sales volume by reducing the time between repeat purchases, referred to as shortening the replacement cycle. Okay, so it's well documented that this is a thing then. So it's not yes. just companies being sneaky and trying to sort of pull the wool over their eyes of all the all the consumers and the people who would buy those things. This you is think so? I, actually... I think it can be a bit sneaky in a way. Yeah, okay. Let's talk about examples where it's sneaky. Then. So a good example of planned obsolescence is HP ink cartridges. They got in trouble because they made it so that their ink cartridges had an expiry date built into the software. Built into the software? Yeah. So even if the ink cartridge was half full, it would just say it was empty after <gasps> after this date hit and you'd have to replace the, the cartridge. Nothing wrong with the ink, nothing wrong with the cartridge, but yeah, it w- the printer would just reject it after a given time period. Oh, that's quite bad. Mm. That is quite bad. So it just forces you to buy another one doesn't it that's that's literally yeah that's the only reason that would be in there and ink cartridges are quite expensive as well yeah Do you, have you ever seen that that graph of like the, the most expensive fluids in the world and it's like goes from like petrol which is like a tiny like it's like a bar chart and it has all these different fluids and petrol's like a tiny one and it goes up and then it goes up to quite a big one which is something like bull semen or something which is like really expensive <laughs> and then and then you've got like hp ink and it's like off the chart like <laughs> like the most expensive fluid in the world by volume because you only buy a tiny there's only a tiny bit in the cartridge isn't there yeah they're really expensive yeah okay not that you're buying bull semen in great quantities i, I imagine uh no i tend to just uh yeah just get that delivered as and when i need it <laughs> <laughs> Should I pour myself another drink? The alcohol helping the uh, the podcast again? Uh, not sure about helping. Uh, what are you drinking today, David? Paul? Um, I'm drinking beer. Oh, you got a prony? It's in a can. Classy. Wow. So I've I'm onto a different whiskey for this podcast. Right. I've got an Ardbeg ten. Ten what? Ten years drank... old. Oh, okay. I was going to say you drank the other nine. <laughs> it has to be at least three years old for it to be called Scotch. All oh, right. Okay. True. Do so not have to come from Scotland. It does, yeah. There's there's several rules. It's a bit like it's a bit like um, quite a few things out there that have a certain provenance. You can only call them like Melton Mowbray pot pies. You can only call them Melton Mowbray if they're from Melton Mowbray. Oh, well, that makes sense. But yeah, what about Cornish pasty? Can it only be a Cornish pasty mm. if it's come from, from Cornwall? I think I so. To think yeah, that, I seem to think that that's true. Yeah. But what about a Yorkshire pudding? You can make a Yorkshire pudding anywhere. Yeah. Well, I think they have to. You have to apply for that status, don't you? And then and then usually you get the ripoffs. Then just have to change their name. So all that happened when Melton Mowbray got the status that, you know, it had to be from Melton Mowbray to call, be called that pork pie, all the others just t- started calling themselves pork pie. Like, it's just, you know, that's what happens. <laughs> like, I mean, if you ever see a pasty and it just says like beef Cornish pasty. style pasty. Yeah, Cornish style. That's the, yeah, that's the other one. Yeah. I'm um, yeah. pretty sure Bakewell pudding's the same, isn't it? That's got provenance. So you have to, you can only call it Bakewell pudding if it's made in Bakewell. But I don't oh, think... Oh, is that why Bakewell tart is different? Oh, very possibly. I know Bakewell tart's a Mr. Kipling invention, whereas Bakewell pudding's the original. Oh. Yeah, good. Another example could be the light bulb. So light bulbs last a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. Now, 
have you heard that there's a, a light bulb? It's, it's called the Centennial Light, and it's been on since 1901. I don't believe that. Is that true? It's never been, or almost never been switched off. So it's been on for almost 120 years. And so the theory is that if a light bulb can last all that time, why do we have light bulbs that fail? Have you heard of the Phoebus cartel? No. In 1925... Right when when light bulbs were quite new, a group of companies, big companies from like around the world, got together and they, to create the what they called the Phoebus Cartel. So that controlled the manufacture and sale of incandescent light bulbs. Right, you know the the filament, yeah, in a in a gas filled glass bulb. Yeah. So they all agreed, all these different companies agreed to limit the life of a light bulb to a thousand hours. Yeah. And so you had to. So all these different companies had to send their light bulbs to a certain place to check if it lasted the same amount of the, the right amount of time and if it didn't then they'd get fined the reason why they did this is because if people had light bulbs that lasted forever then they would never buy any more light bulbs so it was in the it was in their best interests essentially but a cartel is illegal isn't it what you mean like price fixing and stuff yeah but this yeah. this was um 1925 till anti competitive the second the world consumer. war Exactly, yeah. It, it meant that all these different companies couldn't compete on the length of the light bulb anyway. So, well, that's interesting. You said what year was that? You said the uh, so that light bulb was... So was 1925 till the Second World War. Okay, so that, that predates something that I read, was that planned obsolescence was first pioneered in the American auto industry okay. in the 30s. So that actually contradicts a bit of information that I found. So I don't know okay. what is correct. But th- what I read is that General Motors popularized it by, you know, creating, yeah, kind of this artificial reason to replace your car more quickly. And actually Ford hated it because Henry Ford was primarily an engineer and he didn't like sort of building in this this failure cycle. But he basically had to follow suit because he was losing out to General General Motors. And there's actually, a, if you look at General Motors profits, there's like this, when they started to implement planned obsolescence that you know their profits just took off massively oh right okay okay so what you're saying then is it's not profitable to build something that's good quality that will last for a long time um not when your competitors are doing like if your competitors are doing planned obsolescence and selling twice as much they can you know they've got more scale to to offer things cheaper and they're going to put you out of business so you kind of have to follow suit don't you in a competitive market So there are apparently seven different types of planned obsolescence. So different things that manufacturers can do that give a product planned obsolescence. Okay. So things that make it obsolete over time. Yeah. So the first one is contrived durability. So that's something that breaks easily or, for example, is easily scratched. So my example of this, mm-hmm. my top example of this, so something that's, that's easily scratched. Do you remember the original iPods, like the when they got really popular, like the third gen, fourth gen? had like a metal back yeah and basically as soon as you took it out the packaging pretty much that metal backing just got scratched and bent and oh yeah oh no and so you know it didn't take long at all and this is something that's obviously meant to be portable Uh, it fits in your pocket it's going to get scratched against keys and coins and things like that and i always remember yeah like you kind of wanted a new one after a year the latest model partly because it looked all tatty yours looked all tatty because yeah the the backs just got ridiculously scratched i'm sure they'll claim that's not deliberate but i I can't think like why else would you choose that as a material like shiny yeah shiny metal for the back of a portable device is just ridiculous well even if it's not deliberate on their parts maybe they just wanted to use a shiny metal it obviously does work because it gets scratched over time and then people want a new one yeah so the second one is prevention of repairs so this is things like weird screws that you can't take something apart to repair it right you've seen that when you've got like maybe like a laptop or something and it uses like a star-shaped screw and like no 
nobody has that. Nobody can take. Yeah, it no one's got a screwdriver that's like that that shape. It's it's something completely proprietary to to prevent you from getting into it. Yeah, so you either have to replace it or use their overpriced repair service. Yeah, uh, cars. Um, my dad used to always repair his car, but now everything it requires such custom components that you need to take it to like a the, the dealership. Yeah, because well, they they've got the right the right gear to uh to I don't know inspect it and and fix it and whatever. Well, so, something I couldn't believe, something so basic, replacing a car battery. Right, you used to be able to do that with like a spanner in five minutes until uh, up until very recently. My current car has a battery that is software programmed to the car, and if you want to replace the battery, so you've got a dead battery and you're stranded and yeah. you going to buy a new battery, you cannot fit it yourself. You have to go to the dealership what? and get them to program the car so that it it has the serial number of the battery and they can talk to each other. What? How ridiculous is that? They'll probably say it's some security thing or something, but that is... It's making it very difficult to to repair it. Yeah, but that seems to be the, the, the trend that they want you to use their expensive labour to repair your car and not fix it yourself. Hmm... Um, talking of batteries, that brings us on to the third one, which is non-replaceable parts. So what that means is things like if you've ever had a phone with a built-in battery. Do you remember when you used to have a Nokia and the battery just used to slot in the back? Yeah, yeah. And then the iPhone kind of popularised, you know, it's a sealed unit. Yeah, and you can't replace it now. Yeah, which comes back to the point, my phone's probably about 18 months old now, and I can already tell that the battery isn't lasting as long as it used to. Yeah. And if I had a replaceable battery, I would probably shell out whatever it was for a, a new battery that lasted just as long. But my only choice is to replace place the entire device yeah yeah which is which is useless yeah so the fourth one uh, is perceived obsolescence. So this is talking about like design trends. So things like fast fashion, where you know maybe you, it's it's a perfectly serviceable T-shirt, but it's last year's style, and you can't possibly be seen in, dead in it. Yeah, and you have to go and buy another one. Yeah, you know, and it also applies to electronics and things as well. You know, when they bring out the new iPhone, and it's like finally the one you've been waiting for now available in pink or whatever it is, because they've just added like <laughs> colours to it, and it's just the latest yeah. thing, but it doesn't really actually change anything. Does that also apply to like new features? Like they re- they bring out something with a new feature. Like sometimes they deliberately hold back on new features, then then release a new feature just to encourage you to to keep buying the latest. Yeah, I don't know what that would. In fact, that would. Yeah, that that's so frustrating, isn't it? Like when you know that they could have done something, but they don't because they want you to. They kind of want to release things in stages. They don't want to release everything at once. They're going to drip things out into the market so people keep yeah. keep upgrading. So frustrating. Yeah, I'm think, thinking mostly phones. There. Yeah. So the next one, we're on number five, okay. uh, is systemic obsolescence. So a good example of this is when like USB moved to USB-C and all of a sudden, you know, one device isn't compatible with another anymore. So you kind of forced to upgrade. In fact, a very good example of this is when I bought my Bluetooth headphones because I no longer had a headphone jack on my, my phone. Oh yeah, of course. So yeah, my uh, my latest phone doesn't have a headphone jack, so I've got to use Bluetooth headphones or a little a little adapter, a little dongle. Yeah, you carry an adapter. Yeah, but who's going to carry an adapter around with them? That's just it's just weird. Yeah, it annoys me by the way um, that the the latest uh, Mac laptops they barely have any ports. I found an old laptop under the bed the other day, and I was just amazed. It's like I don't know, maybe ten years old, something like that. I'm just amazed at the amount of ports on it. Like there was, you could put anything into it, whereas MacBooks now USB C. That's it. Everything requires an adapter. Everything requires an adapter. So even though this laptop is supposed to be portable, you've got to carry like a million adapters with you if you want to well, use it for anything. Well, that's the huge inconvenience, isn't it? That the chances are that you'll be in, I don't know, a meeting or something at, a, at someone else's office and you'll just need to plug into their projector and you'll have a bag full of adapters. <laughs> and yet you'll just not have the one that's required 
for like putting yeah, into yeah. their projector. It used to be that if you were to buy a laptop or a computer, it would have it would normally have every common connection on that was was popular at the time. Like obviously things change, but at the time you bought it, yeah, things change and things yeah. move on and stuff like that. We can't really like complain about that. But generally speaking, at the time you would buy it, it would have everything on there that would be commonly found, so you'd never run into a problem. Yeah, like you don't need to really buy an adapter if something new came out, and then you'd go, oh, I need a USB to something else adapter now. But yeah, it seems like they've gone the complete opposite. And for what reason? Design? I don't know. Rubbish. So they can make lots of money on adapters? Yes, probably. So the sixth one is programmed obsolescence. So that's like a HP ink cartridge that detects when it's old and stops working. Yeah, okay. Or for example, something that relies on the cloud and you know someone turns the cloud a bit Right. Off. Oh, is it like, say, an online component of a PlayStation or an Xbox game or something like that, where the game's so old that the server that connects people together in the online the online part needs to be deprecated and turned off. Yeah. Is it it like that? Well, this is what worries me massively. I've got a a loft full of old computers because I'm that kind of weird geeky person. (laughs) And I can still dig out the, you know, like you said, like a Mega Drive or a ZX Spectrum. You know, I can play the games. I, I can load the software. Whereas my modern equipment, like I've got an Xbox and I play a lot of racing games, but they do get over the air updates. And if I'm just trying to imagine in, you know, 20, 30 years time that I come to play my Xbox and it's just going to say, oh, sorry, you can't do that. Or well, yeah, maybe the server doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, does the Xbox even function? Yeah. Does the, yeah, does anything even work? So that's... You can't play, you can't play this online game anymore because the server literally doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But even sometimes like, um, I, so, so one of my latest games, Dirt Rally 2, has some weird thing where just to play the offline single player mode it has to connect to a server for some reason (laughs) so as soon as that server doesn't exist anymore that game is just unplayable yeah for really yeah oh that's weird that's such a shame Mm. so the last one the last of the seven types of of planned obsolescence is legal obsolescence so this is uh, a good example of this is cars becoming incompatible with latest emission standards oh right so there was a thing a couple of years ago where they introduced new emission standards in London and you had to have I think it was a Euro 6 diesel car to drive in without having to pay a huge tax to drive into London without having to pay a huge tax you had to have a one of the latest engines and what that meant was that people with the older diesel engines had to sell their cars you know if you commuted into London you just can't and you've got a, a slightly older Euro 4 or Euro 5 standard diesel car what the hell is the Euro f- what, are, what are these numbers it's the it's basically just the standards of engine that come out right, it's, okay. it's a it's a boring standardization thing please go no further <laughs> do not do not tell me anymore I don't even know why I asked <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so th- those are the seven seven different types of obsolescence. Which is the most annoying? Which is the most annoying? I think mm. uh, any that physically force you from not being able to do what you want to do. Well, they all do, don't they? Uh, for, for me, the most the most irritating one, I think, is non-replaceable parts and prevention of repairs. Because I think that's just... Yeah, because that's a bit sneaky. Yeah. I think the, the very first one is about like things just breaking over time. Well, things just break over time. That's... I think we can sort of understand that, but purposely stopping you from fixing your own products that you've bought is just sneaky and I don't like it. Mm. If you if you want to buy a film these days... A film? To watch. A movie film. A movie, yeah. yeah. You would typically go on to one of the online stores like Google Play Movie. For me, that's Google Play Movies, but there's also like the Amazon one. I'm sure there's an Apple one and there's no doubt loads of yeah, others Now well. TV... Yeah. Sky movies, all those sort of things, yeah. But when you buy a film, 
it gets added to, to your library or whatever it's called and then you can play it and stream it whenever you want but you don't get a physical copy no. and so you are entirely at the mercy of that streaming service you know if if you buy a hundred films on all of us on google play and then all of a sudden google play isn't a thing anymore you've just lost your access to all those ah, films that's a good point, yeah you, you know whereas with a physical medium like dvd yes it's clunky and less convenient but you can always play it whenever you want right true yeah true well i was just thinking about the comparison there like what if you'd bought all of your favorite movies on vhs and then mm-hmm. when DVD comes around, you have to buy them all again because you want to watch them again, but with the advantage of... What's the advantage of DVD? Just better picture quality, better sound. Yeah, and you could do stuff like inst- instantly skip as well. Oh, yeah, true, true. You have, true, to, re- yeah. You have to rewind a DVD, do you? Yeah, good point. <laughs> um, and then the Blu-ray comes along and you have to like buy all your favourite movies again, but now with the benefit of it being in HD, which is great. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think that's... That's planned obsolescence. No, no, it's not. That's just that's just technology moving on. It's just the wheel of time revolving. Is that the right phrase? Yeah, but you're you know there's a genuine upgrade there. I'm sure it, it is possible that it's been contrived, but it doesn't feel contrived. It feels like you know after this quite extensive period of time, better technology comes around and people want higher definition films. Yeah, yeah. You know that that doesn't feel like. Uh, anything untoward to yeah, me. Yeah, true. That, that's not planned. I don't think anyone's anyone's planned that. That is just technology getting better. There's no, like, lizard overlords controlling the uh, <laughs> the world's governments and, uh, and deliberately forcing us to upgrade to the latest technology. Having said that, I have noticed quite recently with TVs, they just seem to be desperately clutching at straws to get people to upgrade. Oh, okay. Well, oh, why? Because... Like... What they need a new a new thing? Yeah, well, it, it, I remember I remember when it was sort of the old tube TVs, and then it was color, and that's a genuine upgrade. And then it was kind of like flattish TVs, yeah, like still still deep, but they were like kind of flat on the front. And then they went to actually being flat. They were actually then LCDs HD. or plasmas, and then HD, HD ready, yeah, which was oh my god, that was like when you, when I first got a HD TV, like that genuinely makes a difference. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, but then then, then you like, got just recently three D. Well, that's it. But no TV support 3D anymore. No, that was just... They just abandoned that. Right? Yeah. That was clearly just trying to get people to buy the latest yeah, thing yeah. and didn't ever take off. But I think the same about 4K. So my, my TV's 4K, but not by choice. Like, I, I didn't want 4K. It's just they yeah. all are these days. But genuinely speaking, I cannot tell the difference at a normal viewing distance between HD and 4K. you to close to it. If I, yeah, if I go right up to it, if I go right up to it, I can I can tell the difference, sure. But I don't. That's not what I do most of the time. I sit at a comfortable viewing distance yeah. and I watch my TV. And HD is, you know, the pixels are already smaller than my eye can make out. So 4K makes absolutely no difference to me. And it's just it's just a gimmick. You know, Samsung are bringing out I think 8K TVs now. 8K. Why? Wow. Like if 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 the HD to 4K movement was kind of pointless. I mean, to 8K is even more ridiculous. A lot of detail that you'll never see. Well, that's it. It's just, it's just ludicrous. I know someone who's still got a standard definition TV. By the way, he, he likes it because his kids can't knock it over. Who still has a standard definition TV? Well, it's like a, one of those CRT ones, the big chunky ones, because you can't knock it over. Wow. There's a flat screen. It's like a bit wobbly, isn't it? How do you even plug that into anything though? Because like everything today would want HDMI connections. <laughs> I don't think a SCART. Yeah, all you <laughs> have is SCART a SCART connector. Remember SCART? Yeah, those bad boys. <sighs> SCART. <laughs> <laughs> that that is something that that I am not sad about becoming obsolete. The SCART connection. Yeah, I know. Yeah, sometimes things just they need to move on, don't they? Yeah, it's not planned. It's not sneaky. It's just 
technology becoming better. So I've got I've got another another example of planned obsolescence that bugs me personally. Yeah, sure. So cars from the eighties, nineties, or before, <laughs> really, they had like a they right. had like a standard size stereo in them. So when you know if you buy a car, it would come with like I don't know what was what was the latest at that time, maybe a tape cassette player, right? And then yeah. after you've bought the car, maybe you've owned the car five years, because the lifetime of a car is what like 10, 20 years, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe CDs come out and you think, I need to change this for a CD player. And because they were a standard size and readily available, and this is like a thing across most car make makers, you could take the stereo out and put a different one in. And then all of a sudden, your five-year-old car, which is fine otherwise than being a little bit out of date in terms of what music you can play or whether it connects to your phone or whatever it is that's slightly out of date. You know, you can just upgrade that. Dead easy. Amazing. Happy days. Okay. But then about, it seems to be about, I don't know, maybe about 15, 20 years ago, all the car makers basically started putting in non-standard size stereos. Oh, so you can't replace it? Yeah. So like they've got like a big color screen and it's all built into the dashboard and maybe like the controls are like at the bottom, but the screen's up at the top. And there's no standardization anymore. So when your car is five years old and, you know, a good example of this is, you know, a lot of say five-year-old cars now would have Bluetooth, but maybe not Apple. Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Yeah. And people would want that. That's something people would genuinely want. The rest of the car is fine. It literally just doesn't have a, you know, needs a stereo upgrade. Yeah. But you can't do it. You can't do it. You have to. And and I, and I think a lot of people are persuaded to buy a new car simply because the new model has Android Auto, Apple CarPlay. And they're, they're getting rid of a five-year-old car that has nothing wrong with absolutely whatsoever other than it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's quite a lot of cars to get rid of just to replace one one component, isn't it? But it's, but it's quite an important user need, isn't it? It's quite an, an important thing for a lot of people yeah. to have a... It's like one of the, the crucial things when I bought my car. That's what I was looking at. Yeah. I was like, well, don't really care if it, uh, what speed it goes, just as long as I can Bluetooth my uh, podcasts. Is planned obsolescence even a thing, though, or is it just consumer trends? In most of the things that we've talked about, people had a choice whether to buy the old thing, you know, that had less obsolescence inbuilt, or the new thing. So thinking about Nokia phones, people could have chosen a Nokia phone that, say, lasts five years before it goes out of date. Before it needs another, another charge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or they could choose the iPhone that lasts two years before it needs replacing. And they chose the iPhone, you know, because it's thinner. Oh, the quest to make a thinner iPhone just annoys me, though. <laughs> Who cares yeah. if it's, like, super, super thin? You just want more battery life. That's what people really want. I know. The engineers make the ba- the batteries more efficient so they fit in a smaller space. And it's like, well, great, we could... We could have 20% more battery life, but the engineers go, no, 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 no. We'll just make it 20% thinner. He's like, no, the the wrong one. Stop picking the wrong one. Make the battery life longer, not the device smaller. Um, But yeah, you know, thinking about um, what you said about the, your Mac only has one USB port or USB-C port, whatever it is. And it needs an adapter for everything. But, you know, people are buying that. They've got a choice, right? They, they've got a choice to buy that laptop or a laptop that has a, a multitude of ports, but they choose the one that's got one USB-C port because it's, you know, only having one port allows it to be thinner and lighter. And they obviously don't seem to care about the obsolescence as much. I don't know. I don't buy this argument. I, I, I would buy it if you were saying that the upgrade from VHS to DVD or from DVD to Blu-ray, I would buy that argument completely. But... I don't know why I would want to upgrade my laptop for one that has fewer features. 
if those features were important to me, that is. You know, when I first got a laptop that didn't have a floppy disk drive, I was fine with that because by that point, I wasn't needing a floppy disk drive. Yeah. Whereas now, if they get rid of a USB, I use the USB all the time. A lot of things that I plug in are USB. Don't get rid of that. We said earlier about systemic obsolescence. So like, you know, USB moving to USB-C and that makes things obsolete or, you know, the fact that my phone doesn't have a a headphone port anymore i've got to buy bluetooth headphones but i don't necessarily think that a lot of the time that manufacturers want you know they they don't necessarily want to have to retool everything and put new cables on everything it's just you know they're forced to by demand you know they don't want to be seen the ones that are still going with usb when usb sees the latest thing yeah they have to they have to update right this demand forces it so this is just inevitable then yeah is that is that the case this is just commercialism I think there are a few cases where it goes too far and it's just greed. You know, things like when HP made it so their ink cartridges stop stop working yeah. after a certain period of time, even though there's plenty of ink in it. Yeah, that's horrible. There's no way to excuse that. Yeah. So I think in that case, yeah, that is just kind of evil and, and, and not okay. But generally speaking, I think what most people label as planned obsolescence is actually just the free market. It's what, you know, whether you like it or not in a capitalist society people want the latest shiniest thing and the market will bow to that and and the manufacturers are just constantly trying to get your money uh, you know they're competing for your for your hard-earned money yeah and innovating and that that's what creates this this scenario of obsolescence just think about all of this like small companies as well that sell like peripherals for uh, for phones like yeah. cases and things like that if every time a new big phone comes out for them, it's like, oh, yes, brilliant. A chance for people to, to buy a new case or a new pop charger, charger or pop is. socket or all those sort of things. Bad, Bad usability nightmares. <laughs> so I was speaking to our friend Jake recently and he's got a problem so he's upgraded to catalina which is the uh the latest mac upgrade and his favorite ftp software didn't work right so this this is kind of related obsolescence. to um, obsolescence mm. latest ftp software didn't work because the developer had died wow okay and so there'll never be a new version of this software and uh, and he lost all of his saved ftp details which is imagine like the amount of stuff that you say if you're working with ftp all the time uh, you say save a lot of profiles in there is anyone still working with ftp yeah some people do i do really yeah i think the last time i worked with ftp was many years ago yeah okay you might have your fancy deployment process for updating websites but i can update it in a second or i do a deployment process that takes 20 minutes true no no I, i'm sure it has its place <laughs> still it's you know it's a, yeah. it's a fundamental technology i just yeah i kind of thought most people had uh continuous integration mm. yeah that does sound like a nightmare for Jake. And the person who's died. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, possibly more so for them. Right, can I tell you about our latest Twitter followers? You certainly can. Okay, good. We have Ubaid Omar. Greetings. We have Kate Rutter. Greetings. We have Sarah Codes. Greetings. We have Daisy Nolan. Greetings. We have Frankie M. Greetings. We have Jason Gutierrez. Greetings. We have... Nseo Bong. <laughs> oh, it's too difficult. We have Nseo Bong Enobong. Greetings. <laughs> it's just too difficult. We have Adam Grabowski. Greetings. We have Francis Maxwell. Greetings. We have John Lloyd. 
Greetings. We have Peter Grierson. Greetings. Patrick Thornton. Greetings. Guy Barker. Greetings. Nikki Pantoni. Greetings. Is it is the name Pantoni like Pantone? No, it's like Pantoni. T-O-N-Y. Yeah. Okay. And Andrew Milsom. Greetings. Right, good. Go on then, you had a nightmare. Yes, I have a bad usability nightmare for you. Okay, good. So back in January, I decided to save some money by changing my gas and electricity supplier. Oh, it's going to be one of those stories then, is it? Is this going to be a rigmarole? Um, so the whole process has been a rigmarole, but I'm not going to tell you, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the ins and outs. I want to tell you about one specific thing. So okay. um, basically I've had trouble switching. They've not done the switch properly and I've had to get in touch with my old energy supplier. Right. And it is a company called Tonic Energy. Uh, what? They're called Tonic Energy. Great. Just an energy company. That's all. Okay. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to get in contact with them to say, why hasn't the switch gone smoothly, basically? And on their website, it says, we are not currently taking phone calls except for emergencies. And this is because basically in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, so they're obviously busy. Yeah. It yeah. says, send us an email instead. So the only way to get in touch with them about anything that's not an emergency is by email. Mm-hmm. Now, a bit of information that's important is when I originally signed up, I used the email address... <laughs> Well, uh, sorry, I feel like I should give you a bit of background here. Yes. So I have a catch-all on my personal domain name. Yeah. So that anything at my domain name gets to me. Okay. So whenever I whenever I sign up for something new from a company, I will always use their company name at my domain name dot com, and that will get to me. Why? But it means that that? because I can then if they then start sending me spam or they have a data breach and I start getting spam because they got hacked, I can tell where it came from. Oh, right. Because it will always so say if I sign up for a newsletter for I don't know say if I sign up for the Dell newsletter yeah. just for example yeah. I'll use Dell at my personal domain name yeah, com, okay. and then anything that Dell sends me I can easily block it if they get hacked I know it's come from them because it's, it's coming into Dell at my personal domain anyway so I gave that's quite quite clever yeah so but you'll see why this this has caused me a bit of a problem in a moment why? so when I signed up originally for this energy supplier I used their company name at my personal domain so it was tonic at yeah, yeah. my yeah. domain Com. I now was in the position where I had to contact them for support and I said, wrote them a lovely email saying, please, can you work out why I've not been able to switch, switch smoothly? And it took them many weeks to come back to me and say, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you because you're not emailing from the email address on file with us. Because while I have a catch all on inbound <gasps> email, all my outbound email goes from <laughs> Andrew at my personal domain name dot com. <laughs> So because because the email they've got stored on the account is yeah tonic at my domain name dot com yeah yeah they so, wouldn't they wouldn't talk to me about it so but this is all your own making you can't claim this is a nightmare you have caused this nightmare. <laughs> Well, it seems like a pretty shitty arbitrary thing, though, to me, because email can be really easily spoofed. But yeah, email isn't um, can't be guaranteed secure. So what this implies to me is that they're using email as a security method. So they're using, you know, only emails that come from an account holder can be treated as as valid. But that, you know, that's complete rubbish. No, I think it's fairly valid what they're what they're doing. Like if you, yeah, you sign it with one email address, then reply but on on a completely different email address, then how can you even say that you're the same person? That's, but, that is a basic requirement. But, but email can't say. be relied on. Email email can be spoofed. I could send an email. I could fake an email to them from any address. I could have sent the reply okay, back. True, but I could have sent the reply back to the guy from his own email address. Did you? Did I to solve the problem? Did I? Um, no, I emailed them back saying it's a massive pain to send. Explaining. Well, th- yeah, they haven't replied yet. They just <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like this guy's far too complicated. He's making things even more difficult than it needs to be. Is this just me, or is this is this a pretty shitty thing to do? Because I know I know in my case it's a bit contrived, but plenty of people change their email address or lose access to their email address. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. They you might lose access to your email. Yeah, some people have so, email or, addresses or, that are like related to their uh, ISP. Yeah, or you might, for example, have signed up using your work email address, and currently you might be at you know at home and not working because of the the coronavirus. Or you might have signed up with a work email address and then move jobs yeah yeah so it's, it's perfectly valid that someone may not be able to res- respond on the exact email they signed up with yeah so there's that aspect but also to rely on it for security is hugely problematic because like i said the emails can be spoofed so easily yeah so so yeah my nightmare was that they refused to help me unless i responded to them on an email address that i don't have the ability to send oh, as or poor don't you. easily have the ability to send us <laughs> So a bad usability nightmare that I have had. So as we record this, it's kind of important. And I know I'm I'm sorry for saying it, but we are in lockdown, right? Okay. Coronavirus lockdown. Yes. Now we tend to buy our meat products from our local butcher. Oh. Which is, it's because it costs about the same as a supermarket, but the quality is way higher. Okay. Like the meat is just way nicer. And I think as well, we've been trying to cut down our meat consumption because, you know, meat production is bad for the environment. But at least if, if you're going to eat meat, what you do buy, I think, if you can buy it locally, that's a good thing, right? Helping yeah. the local businesses and reducing the miles that your food has to travel. Definitely a good thing. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so so the local butcher, they've decided to start an online shop in coronavirus. So obviously no one can, people aren't visiting their shop as much as they used to. They are short of business. They decided we'll go online. We'll make an online shop. You can then go and collect your meat from like a pub car park. <laughs> <laughs> what you know some weird rendezvous in a pub car park just to get some meat <laughs> it is a little it is a little bit strange so you go onto their website and you order like you don't even choose what you want they have packs you have to choose a pack of meat so you right. choose like pack a or pack b or pack c or pack d or whatever it is yeah but the, but it'll say like where do you want to collect it from and you can say like uh they've obviously got an agreement with various local pubs and car parks and things and you you say i'll collect it from this pub car park on Tuesday at four o'clock and then you just go you are, you're serious then you actually yeah. have to go to a pub car yeah. park and then what happens when you go to this pub car park there's a, a meat van parked up and they just, they in a socially distanced responsible way hand you a carrier bag of meat <laughs> so anyway bad usability nightmare they I mean to be fair to them they've obviously rushed to get this e-commerce website up and running so you can order this stuff online yeah but the bad usability nightmare is everything is in grams Okay. What's wrong? Grams are fine. Right. If someone said to you that you're going to get 600 grams of sausage, <laughs> what does that mean to you? Yeah. I suppose I don't really know what that is. Yeah. Whereas, I don't know what weight measurement would be appropriate. Well, the, the best thing for me is if it said, because like I said to you a, minute, a moment ago, everything is sold in packs. So you're not buying individual items. You're buying like pack A, pack B, pack C, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would be better is if like pack A was six sausages, two chicken breasts, a oh, pie. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, right? yeah. That makes sense to me. Whereas, yeah, because I know what to do with six sausages. I know how to split them up and partition them. And you know roughly how much you're getting, right? You go, okay, well that'll do for a meal, or that'll do for two meals, or whatever it is. But all of their packs, it's like pack A. You will get one kilogram of minced meat, six hundred and eighty grams of sausages, and I'm like, what does that mean to me? Am I getting a good deal or a bad deal? Like when you go, yeah. If I go to the supermarket, I kind of know just by sight like how much mince meat i need to go in a chili con carne yeah but if someone says to me you need to order it online how many grams i have no idea how many grams of meat i put in a chili con carne 
<laughs> I would, I'd want to know how many, like, is it an even number or an odd number of sausages? Because if it's an even number, I can split it in half. If it's an odd number, it's a bit more difficult and, and weird. Yeah, you can't have half a sausage, can you? Can't have half sausage. It just, it well, just looks untidy. Can I, can I tell you, by the way, though? that we had an unusable victory on this one. What? Well, I, what? I commented on Facebook. You complained? I sent them a message. No, I didn't complain. I sent them a constructive message saying, I think it would be way better if you put typical portions included. Yeah. Um, instead of weights. Cause, because I was sat there struggling for a long time, literally trying to work out how many portions of, you know, sausages, you know, how many sausages I'm going to get for six. I had, to, I had to work it out. Um, And I sent them a message and I said, you know, it'd be really useful if you put portion sizes and numbers of sausages so that when, when I'm looking for which one I want to buy I know whether it's good value and what I'm expecting yeah yeah and they said great idea and they changed it oh fantastic that's good. So yeah. that was an unusable nightmare turned into a into a little win. You've solved their problems. Oh, I like it. That's good. I should charge them. I should charge them, shouldn't I, for my for uh, consultancy? For my consultancy, <laughs> usability consultancy, meat shop consultancy. <laughs> You've improved their business. Yeah, no doubt. Anyway, that is the end of this podcast. If you've seen or used something unusable recently, we want to hear about it. You can email us at podcast at theunusable.com and we're on Twitter at Unusable Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, there's plenty more. The last episode we talked about working from home. I mean, that was the one where you were drinking like, quite a lot of whiskey. Uh, just, I think I've drank more tonight, to be honest. All oh, right, okay, fine. Oh, on YouTube, we've got the video about naming things on websites and the uh, your problem with your uh, your coffee machine that didn't work properly. Oh, yes, the pods. Hugely essential video. I think you're going to get an Oscar for that one. (laughs) It's long overdue. (laughs) Music is by Gold5472. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get a notification about the next one. That's it. Until next time, bye. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.